You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. The tournament is finally here. The brackets have been set and the teams are ready to hit the court. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy, is celebrating with their largest free college basketball survivor pool ever. How large? A million dollars in total prizes are up for grabs. And if that's not enough, check this out. When you enter the free DraftKings $1 million survivor pool, you could get a shot at winning $10,000 for every upset. It's easy to play. Just pick one team per day. If they win, you survive and advance to the next round. Last person standing is the winner. Remember, you can only pick one team once for the entire tournament, so choose wisely. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Get in on all of this week's action by downloading the DraftKings app now. Enter code THPN during sign-up and enter the free $1 million survivor pool. Again, that code is THPN to enter into DraftKings' free $1 million survivor pool. Eligibility restrictions and terms apply. See DraftKings.com for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast. Okay, so we've had two games now under Daryl, and um, I think we've had a pretty good assessment so far, right? And I mean, all you can really hope for is getting wins off the bat under a new coach. And that's what we're seeing, but we're going to break down the fashion and what we've done it in because um, I think it's pretty encouraging, obviously. The buy-in level is so important under a new coach and to get wins off the bat in semi-convincing fashion, right? It's not like you you dominated the scoreboard, but you dominated all other metrics against a really good 5v5 team in the Montreal Canadiens. So we're going to break that down and... Um, I just think the most important thing is as you get wins right off the bat and you're doing it in a way that you're like, shit, this is actually working. The buy-in is going to be so much um, quicker. And that I think is just going to build more short-term and long-term results. Oh, totally. 100%. And like, I mean, (laughs) that's what I think is the most important thing right off the bat. Like you nailed it. You're, you're, you're playing in a way that, you know, is getting you results. The buy-in is only going to be better. Like it's not like they're, it's not like they're doing anything mind-blowingly different or anything um, like that's insanely different or insanely out of the box, but they've got a little bit more structure. You're already seeing results. If you can just make these small changes, like they're already seeing it, the guys are only going to buy in more. So like, I mean, it's, it's it's great to have these two wins right off the bat here. It's not like the wins you just had against the Canadians were the wins that 
well, the win and then the overtime loss you had against the Leafs where you absolutely got shit can dominated. Yeah. Your goalie totally bailed you out. Like if we were watching that, I'd be fucking worried, but we're seeing a complete opposite where we're actually controlling the majority, the high majority of the play and the game and the chances. Well, and the thing that's most encouraging for me, because I mean, we've talked about this a lot is like they would have won how many more games this year if it wasn't for just like simple, ridiculous defensive breakdowns, like pretty much on a nightly basis. It's like if you had any defensive structure at all, you probably would have won three or four more games this year. Like the games against the Oilers, uh, all the games against the Senators. It's just like night after night, there's just tons of chances against that are completely unnecessary and so many weird defensive breakdowns. The fact that even that alone has been cleaned up has been huge. Yep. And it's funny because whew, this podcast is, is interesting, right? I mean, we, as fans, we ride the waves, right? Of emotions, highs and lows. And um, it's funny when, when Sutter comes in and you, he, they, this team is able to execute the way they did in the first two games, they've had two practices with a game and then one, one more practice with another game and just the subtle, subtle, small adjustments that Daryl's already implemented that are already working. Oh man. Like this is really encouraging to me because honestly, I think coming into this, we didn't really know what to expect, but we also kind of knew what to expect at the same time. Um, The way he's, the way he's starting his, his approach to coaching this team um, it's just really interesting to watch because he's not making big changes, right? He hasn't even really made any roster changes outside of, you know, putting that fourth line together, which is a new look we haven't seen yet. And it's funny enough, like they were the best line in first in the first game, but yeah, I mean, part of this, like not really knowing what, what I was going to, what I was expecting coming in is just like, man, he hasn't really changed much, <laughs> but the things that he has changed are obviously, um, the most important things that he's seen and they're directly translating into immediate results. Well, yeah. And it's very similar to what he implemented when he took over the LA Kings and they saw pretty immediate, immediate results. And again, it, it's not something that is like groundbreaking or innovative or anything, but th- the things he's got the team doing are proven to work. They're not going to surprise anybody, but like you said, if they get buy-in, which it looks like they're getting right now, then these things will work. Um, so and they're gonna only get, and they're only going to get better. Yeah, exactly. And so j- just the tactics that he has changed up and the adjustments he's made combine that with his skill as a motivator. <laughs> like, I mean, cause that's what was so, that's what was so refreshing to me in his post game press conference after game one, everyone was like, Oh, wow, 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 wow. Oh, you guys were so good. And he was like, yeah, but we have to be way better <laughs> on Saturday. Still have a lot to improve on. There was no self-congratulatory. We sure did good. Yeah, the process is working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, no, we got to be better. There's some guys who need to be better. He even singled out like Monaghan and Gaudreau a few days later. It was like, those guys are great players. We need a lot more from them. Monaghan comes out and scores two goals. Like that, that to me, (laughs) the tactic stuff. Yes, finally. Because that's all I've really ever been calling for is like, we need a guy who can come in and implement some, some, structure and some tactical adjustments here but the other side of that with him being you know holding these guys actually accountable and actually pushing this team in the right direction is so needed and so refreshing yeah 
And right now what you're seeing is Daryl is slowly laying a foundation. The, the beautiful thing about this is that you're seeing results right off the hop. I mean, this Montreal Canadiens team, um, they're, the, they're the second in the league in terms of five-on-five five metrics. So you just played a five-on-five five elite team and you dominated them five-on-five five with two days of practice. Now, I know that the Canadians on that first game, right, they're coming off a of back-to-back, I think three games and five nights. So you're not seeing probably, you know, the best of the best of that, that group, but you know, they get that second game, right. And maybe they're still a little bit tired. So maybe, you know, you can't give it as much, give us as much credit, but you still got to give, give some credit there because we dominated them five on five. Yeah. Listen, that was like a textbook Sutter game, especially the first two periods last night, the flames uh, had eight high danger chances through two and held the Canadians to zero through two periods. Zero. They didn't have one high danger chance in the first two periods. Textbook Sutter hockey. And I think what's so inc- the other thing is too, like they're dominating possession. They allowed only 34 shot attempts at five on five last night. The game before only 27. It's just been like a market improvement. Like you go back and look at some of those earlier games against like Ottawa. Like I'm looking at a game where the Flames lost to Canucks. Allowed 69 shot attempts. Oh. They only had 33. There's a well, few even, more back there. 53. Like, it's just like the volume of chances that they were allowing and the volume of shots they were allowing and the, the time the Flames didn't have the puck because I think that's what has been the key to the, these two wins the most is that the Flames have had the puck way more than the Montreal Canadiens. And that's Daryl's thing. He's like, zone time, puck possession. We want to have the puck. And I think that's what is really going to help the Flames beat teams like the Edmonton Oilers because how do you stop Connor McDavid? How do you stop exactly. Leon Dreisaitl? You keep the puck in their end. You have the puck. You make sure that they can't get out of their own zone. Yes. And I mean, this is something that he said right off the hop. First, first day on the job, right. Is like before he even got here, right. That first press conference, he said it, we pointed it out. It's like, he's saying that defense is not defending defense is you have the puck. You have control of the puck more than the other team. That's defense. So for him to come in and, oh, like, how does he do it? It's been, it's, he's had two practices and all of a sudden it's like night and day difference. Yet you're going to have the media. Are they, are they still convinced it was the players? Look, I get it. It's early. That's why I don't want to get too excited about anything, but it's not like you won those games under war fashion where, like you just said, the Canucks, they outshoot you. They outchance you. Those games against the the Maple Leafs that we just brought up, you won three nothing. Get you were completely dominated, Corsi, as well as high danger scoring chances. We're not seeing that, right? So we can obviously take everything right with a, a grain of salt. It's early, but I think there are some really valuable, um, you know, positive things to look at in those two games we just saw. Saw. Well, and it's something to build on, right? And like this is like we've heard trust the process. When you own possession, the Flames in these two games have 93 shot attempts and held the Canadians to 61, allowed only 14 high danger chances total, 10 at even strength in these two games. That's something you can buy into. That's a process you can start trusting. And that's something you can actually build on rather than, like you said, squeaking out three out of four points based on incredible goaltending and getting a few power play goals. This is something that's going to be more sustainable and something you can trust and something you can build on again, not to like jump the gun two games. We're going to plan the parade here, but when you see these things working, 
And I don't want to jump the gun, but at the same time, it's like, it's amazing how quickly <laughs> just a few adjustments and a few uh, tinkerings by Daryl Sutter, how quickly that can have a real effect. Yeah. In such a small, short amount of time. Yeah. Like that's what kind of blows me away is it's like game one and game two, you're already seeing a remarkable, remarkably difference. Like it's almost night and day. And I mean, I don't, I forget who it was. I think you have it. They were posting kind of the breakdown in terms of how the four check is different. Now they're actually four checking. Look, we've been, we've been going off on like the dump and the dump and change doesn't work right under Dale, uh, under uh, Jeff Ward. Daryl Sutter is a dump and chase guy, but he actually is implementing a four check that is effective. You're actually like that, that first Monaghan goal last night. Yeah. Game, game two. Um, Richie, like that was shades of 04. You're seeing shades of 04. The biggest thing that stands out to me um, when I look back at 04 is how relentless the four check was. It was like, not only are you wearing teams down, but you're generating so many opportunities and chances by the, the relentless forechecking, you're getting pucks all the time. And I've, dude, this is what blows me away is how quick we're seeing a change and a difference. We're already starting to see that after one, two games. Yeah. And that's like, that is something that's a hallmark of the Sutter system is creating battles down low. So like you'll, you'll see them dump the puck in, but both forwards go attack and they attack with speed and they are winning puck battles right now. And again, it's going to rely on a lot of buy-in and a lot of hard work. But when you see him rolling four lines for real and four lines that are effective, and that's the other thing that I've really noticed, the pace, how, how much more pace is there? When they have the puck in the offensive zone, they're moving it, and there's, like, urgency. It's because, yeah. like, poor Lindholm now doesn't have to play 32 minutes a night. <laughs> it's like they're sure. rolling four lines. You don't have Zach Ronaldo playing two oh. minutes a night and Lindholm carrying the load every shift. Like Sutter was saying when he was doing his quote unquote bag skate, it was like, that's, he wants his shifts to be fast. That's why he rolls four lines. That's why you've heard him talk about, yeah, we need to have four lines to win in this game because he wants the pace to be up. He wants guys winning battles every shift, every shift you're going out there to win that shift. And that was a hallmark of 04, right? So man, it's just like simple things. You got to love that four check. You got to love how aggressive they've been on the puck. And the other thing on with the four check is like, it's not even that like, cause Ward was having them four check, but they were just chasing the puck a lot, you know, yeah, yeah. Like they weren't really aggressive <laughs> on the puck at all. They were just, they were kind of flushing guys out and just like not recovering any pucks. Daryl kind of has them, you know, attacking down low, creating battles. And then there's, there's support on the puck everywhere. I mean, you, you even notice the defensemen are like how low they are. Like I'm, I'm looking at a, an example of it right now and just the defensemen are so low and they take away space from everybody in the defensive zone. It's just, it's, it's a small adjustment, but it's worked. Yep. Daryl Sutter implements a system that, and this has been one of our, our, our biggest frustrations is that, you know, under um, Jeff Ward the last one and a half seasons, this team does not dictate play whatsoever. Yep. They're waiting, they're sitting back, they're trying to defend, they're trying to, you know, they're more focused on goal prevention than anything under Jeff Ward. And it's just like, how, how do you expect to win games when you're allowing the other team to dictate the play, you know, for 55 minutes a game? Whereas you flip this on its head, right? Daryl Sutter's complete opposite. 
you want to talk about a team? Did they were they not dictating the play the entire two games we just watched? Absolutely. And that's kind of the underlying fundamental of his puck possession model of yep. where you always want to have the puck because you want to yes. dictate what's going on. It's so nice. It's so refreshing to have a guy back there that knows what he's doing, that knows how to win. That's how, that's where belief comes from, right? Yeah. That's, that, that's leadership. We've been talking a lot of on, the, on this podcast of like, where is the leadership from management, right? Where's the leadership? Your coach has to be a leader as well. Like, Ooh, this guy knows what he's doing and it's just nice. Right. I think the tone of this podcast might, might shift, right. Because usually <laughs> we're on here bitching and freaking out and it's funny and it's like entertaining, but man, it's so, so frustrating. So um, to have a guy back there and let, listen, I think he's what you're seeing right now is he's laying a foundation <laughs> very quickly. And like, he keeps saying, the more that the foundation shows results off the beginning, off the hop, the, the better, the deeper the buy-in is. And man, if they can, if they can win the next, you know, two out of three games, it's going to, the buy-in is going to be even more huge. And I, I think that we're poised. We're ready to play this Edmonton Oilers team. Like usually I'm not looking forward to playing the Oilers and, you know, especially under a Jeff Ward system, it's just like, fuck, what's going to happen. Like, are we going to be able to, you know, because what we're what we saw under Jeff Ward is just you allow Connor McDavid, you allow the Oilers, one of the you know, one of the most offensively gifted teams uh, in the league, to dictate play, play, give them free reign through the neutral zone to to let them enter your zone at will, and you allow them to have majority of the puck if they want it. It's just like it's like again, it's almost night and day, dude. And I'm I think. I'm so excited to, to to have the Oilers two games in a row here. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I, I'm guaranteeing we're going to win these games, but I'm finally at a place now where I just trust, I believe, and I, I think we can beat them. Well, listen, Steinberg uh, just tweeted this a little while ago, just a, a little uh, soundbite from Daryl Sutter. And I mean, if this doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. Daryl Sutter. I'm not interested in coaching just to coach. I'm interested in coaching strictly to win a Stanley cup. That's it. Oh man. And he's even saying, right. There's, there's some coaches that are, are just coaching for the sake of coaching, right. To be a coach in the, in the league. And, you know, he, he's saying that that's not who he is. He doesn't, he's not coaching just to coach. And I mean, we touched on this, you know, when he, when he took the job, he doesn't need this. He just wants to win a fucking Stanley Cup. And obviously, he thinks this team can do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't take the job. Exactly. And the, the fact that he said, like, that's one of the reasons he went to L.A. Same interview. It's on Steinberg's Twitter if you want to go look at it. I don't know if it's an interview or what it is. But he was talking about how, why he took the job in L.A. Because he saw potential there. He really thought he could win a Stanley cup. And in the back of his mind was, man, it sure sucked losing this game seven in 2004. Now he's applying that same mentality here. It's just, man, I, I, even if they don't win a Stanley cup in the next three years, it won't be for lack of trying for once. It won't be because of, it won't be because of just like incompetence. It'll be just because they couldn't get it done. Like the fact that we know, this is the yep. goal right now. This is yep. the goal of the guy behind the bench. Win the Stanley Cup. That's it. Yep. 
So I think, you know, you're looking at these, these, we've seen two games now, right. And you're, you're always looking to see where you're at. Right. And like we mentioned this Montreal Canadiens team, second in the league in terms of five, five on five metrics, they're a, they're a really good five on five team. So you take that with a grain of salt because they were coming off a busy schedule. But I mean, you posted this thing, this, this whole, you know, Daryl Sutter as a Corsi God, um, he's touched on it. It's just like puck possession, zone time and shot volume, right? That's, that's the three most, like, this is him talking about how he's a style of game he wants to play, right? You can use all the, this is what he says. You can use all the analytics you want. The three most important things are puck possession, zone time and shot volume. You're going to win most of the games. If you're high in all those areas, it's so refreshing to have a guy that actually knows how to win games. There's a formula that he knows works. There's a winning formula that he's implementing. And then as a coach, right? You're rolling out your formula and then you're always tweaking and coaching and helping guys integrate that formula. And he just knows, right? It's a, it's a numbers game. We always talk about that numbers game. You know that if your shot volume's up, your zone time, like it's just so awesome to have a guy that actually knows how to win. Well, and I mean, that's, that's an e that's a simple way to get guys to buy in too, right? Like I'm sure he was talking about, we just want to push the puck up the ice. Like he's not probably getting too technical with the guys right now. Um, but again, what have you seen? Fast transition to get the puck back in the offensive zone, get it going, get it going fast up, 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 get it in the zone. Like, right. That's, that's pretty much in a summation, the biggest change he's made. You can get into the nitty gritty, nitty gritty of it a little bit, but like, have you seen Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin stopping behind their net and passing East West and waiting for everybody before breaking out? No, nope. like Chris nope. Tanev looks like Bobby Orr the last two games. Dude gets Seriously? the puck and is just flying through the neutral zone with the puck. So and, like, there's yeah. no sitting back in the D zone. They're not letting the other team set up in the neutral zone. They're just getting the puck. Th- they're just attacking. That's it. The goal is get the puck back in the offensive zone as fast as possible. Yeah. And it's fu- it's funny because, I mean, these are the things we've been pointing out. And I, I don't know, Rasmus Anderson is still struggling at it. But, you know, when you when you look at these things, right, if you're, if you're a coach, or let's say you're a player on a team, and your coach is saying, okay, you got a new coach come in and say, look, this is the areas we need to work on, right, puck possession. And he emphasizes what that means. And, and how to actually increase puck possession. And what are the things you can do? You have to be a strong checking team, right? The Boston Bruins, how did they win all those Stanley Cups? Best checking team, you know, and this isn't body checking. This is just man-on-man stick checking. You're going to you're getting the puck back, right? Zone time. He's emphasizing zone time. What does that mean, right? You don't want to be in your own zone. You want to be in the other team's zone. How do you maintain zone time? You know that he's going through, you know, explaining to the guys how to do it. Shot volume. These are like really simple, straightforward, you know, measurable um, things that these, that these players can start to implement versus we need to play with more emotion. All we need to do is we need to increase our compete level, right? Be more emotionally engaged. We we need to hate to lose more, like compare the two. If you're a player and your coach is telling you one message right? All these things that are tangible, measurable, you know exactly what they mean versus all these intangible things like compete level, um, emotional level, hate to lose more. It's just like, this is all the shit we've been talking about. And and it's crazy to see the contrast and the difference between 
all when when you change your mindset and actually work towards things that are attainable and measurable and you know what they are versus things that are ephemeral and you're just like well like okay what, what does that even look like increase my compete level all right i'll try and work harder and it's, it's crazy the, the subtle flip of the switch and the difference that we've seen in just two games yeah and i mean i i think we we've talked a lot about how the transition game was so important to specifically the top line success in the 18-19 season. But I think ultimately this is kind of a similar strategy to what Bill Peters was having them roll out, which was just be in the offensive zone all night. It's extend, really similar. Extend be- your zone time. Because Dar- um, Peters was a coursey guy too, right? He knew that puck possession was the name of the game. Carolina always had good puck possession numbers under, under, under Peters. Yeah. And I mean, I just... <laughs> It's just, man, it's, it's a lot more fun to watch your team, <laughs> even from a watching uh, a viewer standpoint. It's a lot more fun to watch your team in the offensive zone <laughs> all night than being stuck in your own zone and not being able to break out, never being able to penetrate. So, and I mean, defensively as well, like they've done a really good job doing what Daryl said he wanted them to do, which is protecting the middle of the ice. Like, again, they only held the Canadians to four high danger chances last night, all of which came in the third period. They had they literally had zero through the first two periods. Um, like it's, it's just so, it's so much better. It's just, it's, it's insane. And the other thing too, that I've really noticed is when they are in the offensive zone, the third forward plays hot. Like, have you seen any two on ones yet against the flames? Nope. Like they're, they're probably one of the worst teams for that this year. And extending back to last year in allowing odd man rushes, the third forward is playing really high. So anytime Giordano decides to pinch like a madman, which he does all the time, there's a lot of support there. They're not giving up those odd man rushes anymore so far. So that's another big adjustment that they've really needed because they've been getting burned on that all year. Well, and it just kind of blows me away that they weren't already doing that. Like, I don't yeah. understand how, how you can be an NHL coach in the NHL and not have, you know, those little tiny things in place. So you're, you're supporting each other on the, if your D if your D is about to pinch, yeah. Like how many times does the D win a pinch? Like what are the statistics? Maybe around 70%. He's like, but those other 30%, if he doesn't make it, it's an automatic two on one every single time. Like like the difference you brought up Peters. I think it's a, you know, it's important talking point because right. You're seeing a lot of the things offensively speaking, and then what happened with Peters, right? He he realized this is where you separate the guy that knows how to win versus doesn't. And look, regular season is one thing. Playoffs is a completely other thing, right? Peters couldn't win in the playoffs. He has no playoff success. Um, and so when when we got beat so easily by the, the avalanche, he completely changes the system. Whereas, and this is going back to this whole, okay, now we're going to be a defensive team defend. Whereas Daryl knows that, <laughs> no, there's a difference there between Peters and Daryl as far as how to implement team defense, right? You don't actually start defending. And that's the biggest thing that Daryl's come and said. Defense is not defending. I mean, counterintuitive, right? But guys like Ward and Peters just don't get it. I mean, the other thing too, like how much better has the zone entry denials been? Like they're not just letting guys walk into the... <laughs> offensive zone with so much space and time like the gaps have been better like even those two changes a forward playing high in the offensive zone to cover <laughs> to prevent two on ones 
and actually, you know, having gaps at the blue line and preventing the other team from entering the zone however they please. Like yep. even those two things have paid dividends through two games. So well, well, that's why I'm like, okay, I'm ready to pay the others now. Bring them on because that yep. was the one thing, right? They have they have those like you know three to four players with that that live on two different lines that can can win a game for them. But it, and the only reason the only way they've been beating us is because, like you just said, I mean that was the old way we used to play. It's come on in, like do whatever the fuck you want. But where that's changed. The other thing about the Oilers, right, is like their power play, deadly. What have you, how many penalties have we took in the last two games? It's amazing how many, how less often you're going to take penalties when you're always in the right position. It's like when you get out of position, that's when you're taking penalties. So and less, also, and allowing less dangerous chances in your own zone. You don't exactly. just freak out and take a stick infraction penalty. Exactly. So there's also been a de- direct correlation in that. I'm not sure if, if you've seen this. If there's been uh, metrics as far as under Daryl Sutter, how many how many uh, penalties his teams usually get? I'm sure it's low, dude. It's I'm sure it's very low. <laughs> if you're Sam Bennett and you're taking an offensive, uh, you're taking an offensive zone penalty, you are <laughs> you're probably toast. I can pull something like that up, but I'll need a minute. So, um, yeah, the big the biggest difference I think like watching that game one. And I'm, it's so intriguing, right? But I'm watching game one and I'm like, okay, you're seeing, you're seeing an adjustment game, right? And it's, it's awesome. You have the fourth line comes out. They basically win you that game as far as the score sheet's concerned. Dude, but Derek, he, Derek Ryan has been the, <laughs> Derek Ryan is, is the most Daryl Sutter player I've ever seen. And he's probably been the best player through two games. Well, and Manji Pony as well. Manji. So, but it's great because you have a line like that that flourishes under the quick adjustment for game one. They take you over the top. Um, I, I feel like Monty and Johnny, they already made the adjustment, right? Did game one to me, they didn't they look kind of out of sorts, right? Under the new kind of changes, like almost like, okay, they got to focus on these new things now. And so they can't really do what they usually do, which I'm so effective. But then already in game two, we see that flipped. Like they're already integrated. I feel like, Chucky, Lindholm, Dubé, they'll be the next guys to kind of figure it out. But that's the greatest thing when you're getting wins, right? And you're slowly buying in. It's just like you have that time for everybody to slowly make that adjustment where it's all going to be operating in sync. Yeah, totally. And I mean, again, that's what's been most encouraging for me because like the Flames have made a few small changes. I think most noticeably they've been noticed in the defensive side of things where they're not getting up. They're not giving up 400 tell 10 bell chances every single night. And you've been able to, you've been able to win two games. So, um, you know, like it's just, it's going to be, and now you have marks and now it's like, you actually have a goalie back there. It's like, finally we have some, you know, some structure to our game. And then we have the last line of Vincent Markstrom. Markstrom hasn't had to be insane and steal a game yet, but you know, if you need him to, he'll be there. Um, and yeah, I think Chuck and Lindholm have started to turn around. They were pretty good last night. They, they were great in terms of possession. Um, weren't able to finish much, but they, I know they did create five high danger scoring chances. So it looks like Chuck and Lindholm are starting to get it as well. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, that the thing that I love is this four lines rolling thing. Because every shift matters. Every shift is fast. The puck's moving. The pace is fast. Even if you don't care about, even if results aside, it's just way more fun to watch. 
Yeah. And I think um, like you mentioned with Markstrom, like he needs this. Like he, he obviously, right. With getting overplayed under ward, his game fell apart a bit dealing with an injury. You know, he's, he, he needs the team to play the way they are right now for him to get his game back in my opinion. And I think he's, he's probably 92% back this from what I can tell. And like you said, man, it's like having him back there as the last line of defense now instead of the first line of defense. Like, whew. yeah, this it makes a huge like difference. I am, I am, I think it's really, we're in a really encouraging point right now. Yeah, totally. And again, like it would be different, like you said, we're not, I don't think we're overselling this, but because it would be a lot different if you had won those two games and got, you know, out chance yeah. and out possessed and dominated. And you like only you relied on yeah, exactly. But yep. the fact that you've you've put in two, those have been the two best games the Flames have played this year. Easily. Yeah. Like Easily it's not on. even close. No, it's and, it, and especially when you're when you're looking, you're measuring, you know, what you allowed, what the what you allowed the opponent to do. Right. Yeah, that that's the biggest thing for me because that's been the biggest sore spot. I know they've had trouble find had uh trouble finding the back of the net five on five this year. But they actually have been okay at producing some some scoring chances. The biggest problem for me has been the the play in the defensive zone. They've been in their own zone way too much, been allowing way too much, and been way too reliant on their goaltending. So the fact that they've been able to shore that up has been the most encouraging thing for me. Okay, let's get into breaking down game one a bit here. So you have... um... Josh Levo. I mean, obviously, if, if you've listened for a bit, you've you've heard us, um, you know, go to bat for this guy just in terms of and, and the main reason is looking at underlying numbers, right? Underlying numbers suggest that Josh Levo is one of your top five V five players in terms of generating quality chances. Um, and before getting on the board, because he's got three goals now and I don't know how many games it's been. Right. He scored that first one not too long ago. But before that, his shooting percentage, expected shooting for percentage, um, was in a shitter, meaning that given the amount of opportunities this guy is getting into on a nightly basis, the goals are starting to come, right? You just It just takes a little bit of research looking at those underlyings to see that. So it's really nice to see um, that come to fruition. And, man, we need, like you said, you, you need all four guys, all four lines, being able to contribute. So I'm <laughs> that fourth line right now is probably one of my favorite lines to watch. Well, yeah. And it, it's, I think it's really interesting to look at the bottom six and how effective bottom six, whatever you want to call them, but the fourth line specifically, because look at Daryl Sutter's track record, look at how he has relied heavily on his all four lines. But when he was coaching the flames, like those, those bottom six guys were incredibly important to the flames run in 2003, 2004, in yep. LA, he relied heavily on those guys. So when you hear him talk to like Sam Bennett and say, yeah, you're going to be a really important part of our team. That doesn't necessarily, yeah, you're going to be on the line with Goudreau and Monaghan scoring a bunch of goals. It more so means you're going to be in a role where you can succeed and help this team win, whether that means you're on the fourth line or not. Like you, you saw how good that fourth line was in those two games and in the, in the first game specifically, and they pretty much won you the game for the most part. Yep. And huge, huge, huge advantage. Yeah, you touched on it, right? Even even Benny has been saying, right? He's been having conversations with Daryl. He knows what his role is. And and that's one thing too that a great coach will do is get everybody in the right role because you you can't just rely on top six to win you games, right? Maybe to win you win you some regular season games, you can rely on that. But to actually, you know, play in the playoffs and go deep, 
Like you can't just rely. You got to have everybody executing their role perfectly, which is what you saw in 04, right? You've already brought up guys like Billy Neiman, um, Stefan Yell, Sean Donovan, right? It's just like these guys were all contributing in a different way, in different roles. So the beauty thing is, you know, we've alluded to it, right? You have a coach that has been down that path. The guy's won two Stanley Cups. That means he's taken teams all the way to the end, to the finish line and past the finish line. So he knows every step along the way, what you need to do. He's not guessing anymore. He knows. That's the beauty about having a proven coach who's won is that he knows this shit. And plus he seems to be a really great people person, right? As far as I know, he gets this bad rap of being a hard ass. Um, but as long as, as long as there's clear communication, you can, you can hold account people accountable all the time. They're going to love it. Right. If you can communicate in a way where it makes sense to them and they know that you're doing it for them, not for yourself, you're going to see results. You're already seeing it with Sam Bennett. This guy looks renewed. Yeah. And it was like, is it a shock to anybody? Like <laughs> that he's actually thriving in a role that suits him. Cause that's what we've kind of been saying for a while is like, this guy's not a top six forward. Stop trying to force him into being one. It, it doesn't necessarily mean his career is going to be a failure if he's not a 50 goal top six player that we all thought, not 50 goal, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so 30. I mean, I think it was re- even really interesting that like Sutter called out guys like in his initial press conference, like Derek Ryan, really important guy. Um, yep. You're going to lean heavily on these guys and we, you're already seeing, <laughs> seeing it pay dividends and man, I, I can't, I, I've, I've <laughs> kind of been tooting uh, Derek Ryan's horn for a while, but I mean, I love this guy. I think he's incredibly underrated league wide. And I think he's easily the best bottom six center in the league. Yeah. I mean, you look at the guy, he's very, he's a really smart player. Um, I think the people that don't see it is, is a lot of times a result of who he's playing with. Um, you know, being in that role, if you're a fourth line center that is smart and has the ability to play up and down the lineup, you're still stuck with, you know, mediocre players. And, you know, if you look at Joachim Nordstrom, even worse than mediocre oh, players. Don't even say his name. I forgot he was on the team. Yeah, he who must not be named. <laughs> exactly. But, but like, again, right, part of that plays into Derek Ryan not getting enough credit. He's got, he's got to drag some other, you know, crappy players around with him. But like this whole bottom six utilization, is that not another kind of night and day comparison of what we saw under Jeff Ward? 100%. Well, like I said, like even look at the time on ice distribution. Yep. Like who played them? Like Bennett played, I think more than than three. It was only behind like two other guys the other night. He had like 13 or yeah, 16 minutes or something. Uh, five on five ice time. Like that's huge. That's huge. Like, remember those few those few games where, like, literally Lindholm was playing, like, 28 minutes a night. And then your fourth line, you look at it, they're playing, like, three minutes a night. Yeah, It's like, well, no <laughs> wonder poor Lindholm is getting creamed out there because yeah. he's playing so much. All these insane minutes can't produce anything. It's like, well, no wonder. The guy's getting creamed. So even distributing a lineup and getting more out of your bottom six is going to help get more out of your top six as well. Gord Miller on the TSN broadcast. Yeah, Elias Lindholm leads the Flames skaters in ice time. Re- really rare for a forward <laughs> to do that. It's like, yes, it's rare. It's ridiculous. So, 
that fourth line integral in game one, uh, like you said, that first goal by Josh Levo, that's set up by Derek Ryan. There's a skill on display for you. Great um, finish but, by Levo too, right? Because most guys yeah, would have just jammed that high. Yeah, he goes, he slides in, in five hole there. And then, dude, that's shot his second goal. The turnover by Weber, that was a bad turnover. Um, but again, due to relentless forechecking. Um, but dude, what a snipe. Like yeah. this guy knows how to bury the puck. He knows how to shoot. He's a great, he's got a great shot. This is why Brad brought him in. 100%. And again, I was going to say that before you said it for like how many got, how many chances were created off of just unforced errors by Montreal because of the flames four check. Yeah. Which is it's this, that's kind of uncharacteristic for this Montreal team, which just, again, if you're looking at how good this team usually is five on five, you could, I think this is a solid measurement of how effective the changes that Daryl has implemented have been so far. Yeah, 100%. And just one more thing on Derek Ryan. Flash tweeted this out. Flash 33, uh, friend of the show. Uh, 15 periods, five straight games where Derek Ryan has not surrendered a high danger chance while on the ice at five on five. Five straight games. The other team has not been able to generate a high danger chance when Derek Ryan's been on the ice. I rest my case. Yep. You only do that because you're smart, right? You you have hockey sense. You get the game so that you're in the right position. Yep. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most skilled guy, but he he relies on his brains. And you, if you put your body, it doesn't matter how big or small your body is. If you're in the right position and your stick's in the right position, right, that's how you're going to see, you know, results like you just, just mentioned. Totally. Lucic fight. Oh, boy. Again, players in their roles, players having clear defined roles. One, one, you know, one blaring thing that bothered a lot of a lot of fans is how um, Jeff Ward overutilized, over relied on Milan Lucic to drive the bus for this team. And I think you're going to see again, Lucic is going to be an important part of this team. I, I think I think everybody's okay with that as long as he's not playing above his role. Right. And um, so again, another player I'm really excited to see fit into his role. You're starting to see it. Like, have you had any problems with Milan Lucic the last two games? Any turnovers? The guy's been, he's been effective in the role he's been given that fight against Josh Anderson. My God. Well, and I think, yeah. And he had what four hits in that game too. Like he, I think first, a lot of these guys too, this simplified straight line, get the puck back in the offensive zone. Simple it's just, hockey. it's just such an easy thing, you know, like, like yeah. you were talking about, instead of all these weird things like, Oh, emotional or like, slow it down, boys, bring it back. Let's break out slow all together. It's just like, it's straight line hockey. It's let's go attack. I think that's helpful for guys like Lucic specifically. And my God, did uh, Josh Anderson give that guy credit? Jeez. It's funny because um, Lucic hasn't what for the first 20 games. Did he have one fight? So he's had like three in the last five or something like that. But I'm trying to think, yeah, I don't think he did. But he went with Nurse, or has only had two. He went with no, yeah, he went no, with Nurse, uh, and he went with Anderson. And then there was somebody the other the other night too that they were down, and he fought him. You go against was. somebody against Ottawa. Yeah, I think so. I've literally blocked every Jeff Ward game out of my brain. So, so, but it's funny. The only reason why I bring that up is you forget how big of a monster this guy is until you see him fight. <laughs> Dude, that left, he almost, that he just missed. Like, I'm pretty sure he would have killed that guy. Seriously. He was about an inch away from potentially killing this guy. 
like the helmet flew off. And if you watch it in slow-mo, he just grazed his face. If that was an inch to the right, yeah, he would, that would have been lights out Josh Anderson. And he didn't have a helmet on. It could have been ugly. Big time. So anyways, guys in clear to find roles. I think it's hype, man. I'm just so excited and in a calm way, right? Well, I just want to watch, right? Like, yeah, it's just like I want to watch hockey now. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is we we keep touching on this foundational, right? This simple hockey, the simple brand of hockey that is effective, is building a foundation for these guys to flourish on. You take a, and I think the Sean Monahan goal, the first one, is a prime example of this, right? You're playing within a system that's simple, right? Yet effective. Richie causes the turnover because of the proper forechecking. It allows a guy like Sean Monahan to get some time alone in front of the net. That's when you let your skill flourish. You don't try and drive the game on skill. Daryl Sutter knows that you can't win. It's not sustainable long-term just to rely on skill. And we've been saying this is like, you got to rely on the X's and O's. And once you have that as a foundation, when guys get in tight, and that's the other thing too is right. Mangiapane after the you know the first two games asked what's the biggest difference the pace the pace of the play that we're playing at is up tempo right and sure if you're a player you kind of like to slow things down because you can make more plays and let your skill flourish but if you're up tempo up tempo you're not going to be able to make as many skilled plays but you're still going to get those opportunities to make the skill plays because what's happening is now you're generating enough chances to let you to let your skill be on display in those little moments like we just saw with Sean Monahan. Well, and again, and then when you get those chances, you just let your instincts take over. You're not thinking too much. Exactly. You're like the pace of the game thing cannot be understated, I think, enough no. for what this team like cheese, man. Yeah. And it's funny because I know if if you're a listener of this podcast, you're probably in agreement that, you know, it wasn't working under Ward, but and we we spent a lot of time on you know, pointing out a lot of people in media that you just thought Jeff Ward was a great coach and it was the players, not Ward. But how can you compare those first two games we've seen after two practices under this coach and not say, whoa, the coach has made a night and day difference on the performance of what this team is putting on the ice? I'm starting to think coaching might be important. Who? Never would have said that before, um, but I think it might be pretty important. So Derek Ryan has a hell of a game. He was the top performer, was he not? Corsi four was you posted this seventy eight point five seven. His expected <laughs> goals four was almost one hundred percent ninety three point three zero. This is that, playing. He was fantastic playing fourth line minutes. I mean, listen, Daryl Sutter. I guess it wasn't technically fourth line minutes because he's he was rolling on that on that he was. He was leaning heavily into that line. And this is what I love about that second goal. Again, night and day comparison with Jeff Ward. Don't worry. At some point down the line, we won't have to compare to Jeff Ward. But because it's so fresh in our recent memory that we have to, right? It's like, this is what we were used to. And this is what we can see differently is in the game, you got to be able to manage momentum, right? And Daryl even alluded to this, right? Being He's confident that he can manage the game. Yeah, you have to manage the game within the game. You can't just roll all four lines and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna roll all four. That's what Jeff Ward would do, right? Yeah. In a game, you'd start to build some momentum, and then you'd throw that fourth line out there, and it would just sap it. It would kill it. 
It's like he didn't know when to put what lineups out when. But then he overcompensated about three games after trying that for way too long. And then he's like, yeah, I'm never going to play the fourth line and I'm only going to rely on poor old Lindholm here. Exactly. But there was a point in that game, right? You were the fourth line, that first line, or that first goal by the fourth line by Josh Levo. And then Josh Levo comes down and rings it off the post. And you're like, whoa, this fourth line is is getting some chances. Like, they're looking good tonight. And then it was was kind of like a a lull in the game. And there was a face-off in the offensive zone, right? And Jeff Ward would have not have gone back, right? He would have just kept rolling whoever was next. But Sutter puts the fourth line out again. And I remember being like, there they are again. Interesting, right? Derek Ryan on the faceoff dot. And that was the shift they scored about that second goal. And to me, that's another comparison of just like the night and day difference, the contrast between a coach that's managing the game within the game. Well, and again, I, I think they, they kind of got a little, uh, they struggled this, this a little last night because they, they, it got away from that a bit in the third, but in the first game, um, did they sit back in the third no. period? Did they sit back once one shift? Did they sit back one shift? Because the the one of the key shifts for me was uh, the uh, the Canadian score to make it a one goal game, and the draw line gets out there with like what what was it like four or three minutes left? Yep. And they ha- they controlled the play for a full minute. They they held the Canadians in their own zone and had a really dominant shift. And that to me was like that's defense. Of, that's <laughs> defense, right? Like that was one of the most that was the, the key, biggest shift in the game for me because. I, I really like they score that goal and your initial reaction is, Oh shit, here we go again. You know, like they're going to fold. They're just, it's going to be a mad scramble till the end. They're barely, they're either going to barely hang on or they're going to get scored on. And we saw the exact opposite. They didn't sit back. They pushed back. Yep. And Hey, this is two games in a row. Now you've had a two goal lead going into the third period. If you if you're if your coach is Daryl Sutter and you're playing Daryl Sutter hockey and you have a two goal lead going into the third periods, I think we're gonna, you know, it's probably too soon, but we're gonna get to a place where we're gonna start feeling pretty damn comfortable in those situations. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, just wanted to point out that shift was really important. I know you'd pointed out to me as well. Like that's that's a huge shift. Yeah, like you said, Perry gets one. Um, this guy will forever forever haunt us. I mean, it's just it's written in the stars for this yeah. team. At least he's at the end of his career and the level, the amount of haunting isn't going to be, you know, as devastating as it has in the past. Um, but like you said, right. Even after that goal, they don't, they don't fold. Nothing happens. There's this, like Daryl said, after the game, it's a, it's a pretty mistake free game. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't even bend. Right. You always hear this. Oh, they bend. They didn't break, but they didn't even bend. Like they're didn't even phase them. And then the fourth line out there with 40 seconds left, the fourth line, whatever you want to call them, the Ryan line. Um, that was huge too. Like, again, like that's just like, the managing the bench and knowing who to put out when, right? Yep. Because, and, you, and like, Hey, you tell me those guys aren't bought right in now. That fourth well, line. Well, I said, you think I said after the game, I was like, you think Sam Bennett and Josh Levo aren't stoked already after one game and, and Derek bought Ryan. in and Derek, like they got more responsibility and were used more properly in that one game than they have been in the entire season. And for poor Sam Bennett, probably in a year and a half. Yeah. that so that game one here, here's your breakdown. You outshot the, the Canadians 29 to 18. When was the last time we held a team under 20 shots? When was the last <laughs> time we consecutively two games in a row outshot a team? I, I don't, has it happened this year even? 
And the Habs got some shots in the third period, but going into the third, because they're pressing, but going into the third period, it was like we had held them to what, 17 shots again? It was just like, fuck. I, I sign me up. I don't care. <laughs> I trust I care. this process, dude. And here, yeah, exactly. Here's a process I can get behind. Yeah. And it's funny. It's like if you're a third party, um, I, I don't know. There, there's somebody tweeted, I can't remember who it was, that, oh, it's Daryl Sutter's boring hockey, right? If you're a third party and you're not cheering for the Flames, maybe it's boring, but give it some time. Are you telling me the Calgary Flames were boring to watch in 04? Are you kidding me? Are you telling me the Kings were boring to watch when they basically didn't even lose a game, won the Stanley Cup? Like, how many losses did they have? Four, went 16 and four. <laughs> That's to me, it's a ridiculous statement. It's like, what are you even watching? Yeah. And again, this, is, you, this isn't, this is not trap hockey. No, this is, this is four check the hell out of their team hockey. It's going to be exciting to watch. 100%. This is both teams. Uh, Habs went 0 for 2 on the, this is first game. 0 for 2 on the power play. Flames over 3. The, the power play needs to get addressed. Listen, if you're, I, I get it. Number one priority, five on five play. 100%. I agree with it. You're already seeing, we're winning games five on five, which is something we weren't able to do under Jeff Ward. But that power play needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, something's got to be fixed there. Again, we've talked about it at length, whether or not it's the formation. Something has to be addressed. I think the easiest thing to do is just take Rasmus Anderson off that point because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Put Valimaki or something up there or Hannafin. Anybody who's got a bit more of a clue than Rasmus. But yeah, they got to start generating more looks on the power play because that's the biggest problem is it's, it's so one-dimensional. They really only have the shot from Lindholm on the right side or that little low high play they do. It's not really working at all. So they've got to figure out a way to fix that. Shot attempts. This is game one still. Uh, we're 45 to 27 for the Flames. Scoring chances were 24 to 17. High danger was pretty even, seven to six. But this is what's, what Sutter's talking about, right? Uh, increasing shot share and you know getting pucks to net. Um, shot volume. So the reason why he's stressing that is that's how you win games. That's how you're going to eventually generate more scoring chances, 24 to 17, and eventually high danger scoring chances than the other team. And that's the name of the hockey, right? It's just a numbers game. The more scoring chances you get on a nightly basis, the more opportunities you have to win games. The expected goal share, uh, Flames dominated 63 Point three percent to thirty six point seven. I mean, we dominated. Five, this is a team that is the second best five on five team in the league. We yeah. dominated five on five. Exactly. <laughs> Again, kept them to zero in in game two. Zero high danger scoring chances until the third period. This had been one of the most dangerous teams in the league five on five, and the Flames just like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. So game two. Here's your metrics. Or uh, Numbers 36 to 25 for the Flames shots. Montreal had zero goals on two power play opportunities. I think this is key, man. They you get you gave up four power plays in two games. Yeah, it's huge. So something to watch for against the Oilers. You got two games against the Oilers coming up. Look, these guys have the most deadliest power play in the world been, ever. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And it's two minutes straight of shitting your pants because Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl do not get off the ice for the duration of the entire thing. So like until your guys out of the box back in your zone, 
you can't even take a, a breather. It's got to be the most, uh, like, honestly, I think it's the most insane power play I've ever seen in my life. God, it's good. So Flames had uh, had one. They had three power play opportunities. They, they get one on the power play. That was Sean Monahan's second goal. Again, I, like, unreal play by Matthew Kachuk to battle in front. Hey, funny, you didn't go between the legs, try some dipsy doodle. You just battled, and the puck made its way over to Sean Monahan, who also battled to bury. Yeah, you win those battles, but Sean Monahan's too soft, eh? Yeah, no, he was pretty lazy on that goal. Yeah, we didn't try hard enough at all. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I have this. Somebody tweeted this, Tony Allen, on Twitter. Uh, I retweeted it. Monahan only needs thirteen more goals to pass Al McInnes, and fifteen more goals to pass Lanny McDonald. <laughs> Not bad for the shittiest, weakest, and most unmotivated player in Flames history. <laughs> exactly. He was pretty unmotivated to score that goal, eh? the, the second power play goal. Yeah, he's pretty lazy, weak, weak on the puck. It's funny because he led the team in, in uh, hits in the first game as well with four. Yeah, pretty soft, eh? Oh, okay, soft. so shot attempts, game two. Uh, 48 to 34 for the flames scoring chances, 24 to 13. You're doubling up on scoring chances. Whew. High danger scoring chances, nine to four for the flames. Again, dominated goal, expected goal share 64% to 35.1. This is two games of domination five V five against the league's second best five V five team. Do you need, is that, is, do you need any more proof that we needed this coach so bad? Like, man, right. that's encouraging. And the funny thing is, where's the media? Well, on these, met- on these metrics, are they still convinced it's the players? Yeah. Did you did you listen to any of the post game stuff? It was kind of hilarious because they were asking, um, who did they have on the stand? Is Monahan and Backlund maybe? Anyway, Monahan was there, but they're they're like, yeah, it was it was Backlund. for those of us who are still trying to figure out what the differences are. Um, what's the difference? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> like literally they have no clue. Hey, eh? like you haven't noticed that they haven't been just like sitting behind their net waiting for every day to break out. You haven't been noticed that they've completely changed the way they play in the neutral zone. You haven't noticed that they haven't been giving up two on ones. Like <laughs> you haven't noticed that when you don't listen to music all practice and you end the practice on a high note with doing lines your first few shifts, there's a direct correlation and your first periods are the best that we've seen in years. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Like I, it's, I think a lot of us are getting really, but I mean, it is like, it's, it's tempting to dunk on all these media people who were so wrong after two games. But again, after two games against the best five on five team in the league, where you notice such a difference, like it's hard not to just be like, Holy crap. How can you be pushing this? It was not the coaching problem for so long when it so clearly was. And you're seeing the results immediately. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So Sean Monahan was your uh, top performer from last night. Two goals, seven shot attempts, six scoring chances. At a boy money. At a boy. Yeah, he was getting some um well, he hit his he hit his two hundredth goal and two hundred first goal. So he was getting some accolades there on the on the broadcast, which is good. Um, you know, they threw up the stat where he's, he's top in his draft class in goals. I think we talked about this on the last podcast. I thought this was interesting. Daryl Haynes posted this after the, after the game. Yeah, this uh, is incredible. So, so he, he leads, um, 
Nathan McKinnon and Alexander Barkov in goals for the same draft cap class. But if you if you expand that, right? So he was drafted in, in 2012. 2013. 2013. Yeah. So if you include 2012 in that, he's still first. So that's another season of, of players. If you include 2011, he's third. That's two full seasons of other players he's playing against. And if you even go back to 2008, 9, and 10, you're going back five seasons. He's still top five. If you include all the players that were drafted five seasons before Sean Monaghan, he's still top five in goals. What a bum. That is fucking incredible. We should probably trade him. What a bum. Trade him. What a bum. Doesn't care. This guy obviously doesn't care. I mean, way he, too soft. Way too unmotivated. Daryl Sutter's going to eat him alive. Oh, yeah. He's going to hate playing for Daryl Sutter. Hate it. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like this has kind of been going around for a while where everyone's like, oh, Monahan's in decline. It's like, okay, we have th- four, four seasons where he was a pretty elite offensive player. And then last and so, season. And when did his decline start? After his record career under Bill Peters in 1819? That's when the decline just automatically started. I guess. And it's, it's like, this is what I'm failing to understand why he gets singled out when, Okay, we're singling him out in, in a shortened season that was full of absolute nonsense where Gaudreau, Lindholm, Geo also all fell off at the exact same time. Like, I don't understand how everyone's like, Sean Monaghan sucks now because he, along with every other player on this team, had a down year under a complete revamp of the coaching change where all this weird shit was happening, all this drama behind the scenes was happening. And then all of a sudden, like, we, we think Sean Monaghan sucks now. Like I just, I just am failing to see, <laughs> see the correlation here. It's like, did he have a bad year last year? Yeah. Is he been struggling a little bit this year? Yeah. But what's the common denominator been? This stupid yep. Jeff Ward system. Why don't we give this guy a chance under a normal coach again? Yeah. You have to, you have to step back. You have to zoom out and look at the big picture, right? He had a career year under Bill Peters. A lot of guys did. The offensive numbers were through the roof. Well, he and even then, had like, he even was awesome in the 17, 18 season was great that year. Well, he's been, he's been good his whole career other than the last two seasons. Yeah. So then under Bill Peters, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, we touched on this. Bill Peters knew how to, he knew the, the course four was important and puck possession was important and attacking through the neutral zone was important. It led to some serious offensive success. Then he decided, okay, now we're going to be a defensive team. Jeff Ward carried on with that. But what we've been, the holes we've been poking in this is what Daryl Sutter says. Just just because you're focusing on team defense, I mean, do you still have that, what he said, that quote available? Oh, Sutter, when he was talking about how teams, uh, I can pull it up here, but essentially what he was saying was like, a lot of teams who say they want to play defense end up just in their own zone all night, relying on role class goaltending. That's not defense. That's what we saw under the Bill Peters shift to becoming a defensive team, quote unquote, air quote. We're going to be a defensive team now. Jeff Ward, carry on with that. Day one, Daryl Sutter comes in and says, that's nonsense. Get back to controlling the puck possession. That's how you defend. Like we said last night, Monty, Johnny, and Richie, right? Four minutes left in that first game against the, the, the Habs. Completely dominating them on the forecheck 
Those guys are 180 feet away from the from Jacob Markstrom. How are they going to score? <laughs> That's fucking defense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> the quote for Sutter, he's talking, he, this is from 2014. He said, the game has changed. They think there's defending in today's game. No, it's about how much you have the puck. Teams that play around in their own zone say they're defending, but they're generally getting scored on or taking face-offs or they need a goalie to stand on his head. That's the way they play. Yeah. So is Monaghan completely regressed, falling off a cliff? Or was he just playing under a change in coaching? Like you said, these guys are too coachable. Was he going to go outside the system being asked of him? No, he's playing it to a T. It's just that the system was not working. Well, and again, I the thing I fail to understand is like, look at Elias Lindholm's numbers and underlying numbers. Like, they're not much better than Sean Monahan's. I don't see everybody out on a witch hunt for, wow, Lindholm sucks, right? Like, Johnny Gaudreau was not good last year, his underlying numbers. Like, he started to turn around there late, but I just get frustrated when people, because Monahan is such an easy guy to look at, and say, yeah, he sucks now. Um, when it's like you got you got to take a bit more of a wider view. Like it's just it's it's it, everyone has always said, oh, Monahan's the weak link, not a true number one seed. Blah 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 blah. Even Francis last night, like this, <laughs> Monahan scores his two hundredth and two hundred first goal last night, milestone night. Everybody's celebrating that he's first in his draft class in goals, and Francis is like, oh, Daryl, do you think Sean Monahan is a true number one center in this league? Yeah, a lot of people have been saying that he's not. So where do you see this guy? And I mean, Daryl's response, like, again, like the dumb, dumb question. <laughs> like, because what coach is going to say, oh, yeah, he is a number one center. Daryl was just talking about how the whole team up the middle needs to be better and strong. And Sean's a part of that, right? Like, it's just this weird, it's this weird tunnel vision viewpoint that kind of gets pushed by media and then gets picked up on by fans that, it's like, oh, Sean Monahan's not a number one center. Therefore, he's a bum and should be out of this league, uh, off the team. It's like, he's not Patrice Bergeron. He's not, <laughs> right? He, he, Sean Monahan is what he is. He's good at scoring goals. And if you play him to his strengths, he can still be a part of your team and help you win. I just don't understand. I, I'm just sick of this thing because you know what? I've kind of learned a good lesson over the summer with absolutely destroying the Chris Tanev signing. Or yep. like, I was like, this is bullshit. What a dumb, dumb, terrible. Chris Tanev has been unbelievable this year in helping the Flames win. He's probably been one of the top. He's been an MVP caliber for the for this team right now. Like he's been easily one of their top three players this season. So I'm kind of I'm kind of getting sick of this. Let's single this guy out because he sucks now. He's the problem, right? Is yeah. I think I think Daryl's talking about the team and helping the team win is like, that's what we need to start focusing on is how can the guys on the team now help them win as a whole? Exactly. Yep. And yeah, I mean, you look at, at the players that this guy is in the same company with, I mean, we already named the guys from the draft class. You, you put this up last night, game winning goals since 2013 and 14. Ovechkin leads the league in that time span. That's like what? Eight, seven seasons. Yep. Um, Ovechkin has 54, Max Pacioretty has 52, Marchand has 47, Tyler Sagan and Sean Monahan are tied for fourth in the league for 43 game-winning goals. I mean, continuously, if you look at this guy's career stats, this is the company that he sits in there with. 
the best of the best. Yet, like you said, you have this, oh, but in a vacuum, right? If you look at this, this one aspect of his underlying means he's a garbage player. So we keep coming back to this is like these guys, you win by having guys execute their roles. It's the coach's role to make sure guys are in the right roles and then being able to extract the best out of them in their roles to help you win. Like you just said, enough of this. Can we stop focusing on, on, you know, what doesn't make us win? Who gives a fuck? As long as we're winning games and the coach can continue to roll out a system that these guys can execute and they can all contribute in their own unique way to helping you win games. That's all that fucking matters. Like, just like, look at the, look at Rastus Anderson as an example. Like he's having a tough start to the year. His underlying numbers suck. He's are we, bad. are we all like, we need to get rid of Rastus Anderson. He's not a number one defenseman. Or are we like, man, he needs to be better. And how can, you know, hopefully Daryl yeah. Sutter can make him better. <laughs> like you, what you say, what can you do to help this guy turn it around? I, I just don't get how everybody's always on Monahan's case. And it's like, he needs to go, or he's the guy you need to trade. It's like, he gets unfairly singled out a lot. It's like, we know what his weaknesses are. We know what his strengths are. He can help this team win. That's what I'm, that's where I'm annoyed at a lot of the discourse around Sean Monahan is the, like the kind of the guys on, on the radio and stuff saying like, Oh, he scratch him. Oh, he needs to be moved out for this team to win. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, are you kidding me? This guy, like you just said, look at that elite companies in with guys who score game winning goals, Marshan Ovechkin. Come on. Like this guy can help you win. I'm sick of this one dimensional. He has had a hard time for the last two years and he's not good in his own zone. Therefore he needs to get off the team. Bullshit. Yeah. Here's another analogy to throw at you. Is he the most complete player? No. Is he an elite goal scorer? Yes. If you're putting together, like, let's say you're a sales team, right? And you have a guy, I don't know, let's say it's used car sales, right? You go to used car sales a lot and you have like this, this, the top sales closer in the nation. You have him on your team, but he's really bad at cleaning the bathroom. Like he's terrible. (laughs) I think we got to get rid of him. Uh, He's just not pulling his weight and cleaning the fucking bathroom. I mean, that's pretty extreme case, but it's, it's, it's basically... You have to look at it through that lens. Just like, no, if you're managing a team, you put guys to execute their strengths as much as possible. You put them in in positions where their weaknesses don't get exploited as much as possible. It's called bench management. Exactly. And and I think it's, I just think the hypothesis that this team would be better without Sean Monaghan is is ridiculous. Yeah, a team... The hypothesis is that any team without an elite goal sc- scorer is better off without is ridiculous. Like, I mean, he, he's pro like, yeah. Ex- ex- and then, and then you look at, you know, the, the where in the games, the guy is tied for fourth since entering the league in game winning goals. But he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to win though. <laughs> here's the, here's the, the, the key game, game winning goals like can we just stop like he scores goals that win you games top four in the league with those other names that we mentioned some of the best goal scorers this league's ever seen yeah i think we should get him we're better off without him can't win with him and again listen can't win with him even though he's win he has the fourth most game winning goals 
Just makes no sense. Stop and think about it. Fuck. <laughs> and I mean, again, I really liked how Daryl answered that moronic question from Francis. Like, and that's why Daryl is so good because he gets it right. Yeah. And he Just, knows yeah. that he knows that it's about the team as a whole. Like that's what he said down the middle. All yeah, four it's guys. not about all these individual stats, this, yeah. that, and everything. It's what can these guys contribute to the overall team on a nightly basis that's going to help you win games. Yeah, totally. And I think game-winning goals help you win games, last I checked. Yeah, it's pretty important. So another player that was good, Oliver Shillington, cracks the lineup again. Um, he had a good game. He was the third top performer uh, as far as game scores, um, expected goals for, stuff like that. That one play that really stands out is that back check. I think it was on Paul Byron. Yeah. Paul Byron is speedy. <laughs> Shillington was like 10 feet behind him. He had to kind of turn his body around, but man, he caught up to him. No problem. Yeah. That's why one of the criticisms I always like hear about Shillington, oh, he gives the puck away a lot, but I mean, yeah, but not as much as people say, but he can also outskate a lot of his mistakes too. Right. Yeah. So I think that's why he's such an important guy. And I do think, um, like, man, it, it, it's been abundantly clear that the one guy who has not been able to play at the pace Daryl Sutter wants this team to play at has been Nikita Nestrov in that first game. He was like the one sore thumb that was like, man, he's not, he's not able to keep up. He's turning the puck over. He's getting caught a lot. I think Shillington fits in beautifully to this, this, this system where it's up the ice, up the ice, fast, fast paced game. I really hope he sticks in the lineup now because again just his speed alone from the back end is such a weapon like the dude can cut up the ice like i would say like nobody else on that defensive core maybe outside Noah hannafin can you can skate like a monster i think this daryl sutter system is going to be really good for him as well and he, he played a lot last night too yeah well he and as far as you know the defensive pairings um, the Shillington Val and Mackey pairing oh. was, was the, the best of the three last oh, night. Oh yeah. They were well over 70% in terms of expected goal share. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were uh, like 76 or something. Yeah. 77. 77. Yeah. That's a great pairing. Great dynamic young D pairing that can skate. They can move the puck. They can move the puck up the ice. Um, I love it. I, I want to see more Shillington for sure. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you you singled out Nesterov. I think Rasmus Anderson, as yeah, far as is, yeah. keeping up with the pace of the play, like he has not adjusted yet. And I think I think for him, I don't know what he needs to do to do that, but once he makes the adjustment to the pace and the tempo that this team is, is shifting into, I think you'll see his game turn around. Like he's just got to get his feet moving. There was that one play, um, I think it was game one, where – where, you know, Rass had the puck in his own end and he he did the old thing, right? I'm not going to move. I'm just going to stand still. I was a little yeah. bit worried. But then you saw Tanov just barrel the puck up the ice after that. Rass's Edison is going to have to start doing that. And I don't know what it is. It's maybe his lazy habits from the from the power play. But, man, he, he's got to turn it around. But I think if he just starts moving his feet, the thing is I'm not worried anymore because you actually have a good coach who's going to be able to identify that a, there is a problem and B there's also a solution, right? With words, just like the inability to identify the problem was the biggest yeah. issue. Yeah, exactly. Like Daryl will be able to answer the questions and have the answer for them. Like Ward couldn't even formulate the question of like, what's wrong. Right. Um, yeah. There were a few plays last night where arrested again, the penalty he took, I don't know what he's thinking. Like, again, he oh. wasn't moving his feet. Like, the Montreal players like skating by him. And instead of just, you know, 
taking a few strides to get to that puck. He just staples them into the boards and takes an interference penalty. So yeah, I agree in terms of pace, that's never really been his game. I'm curious to see how that's addressed. I don't know if that's with switching up the D pairings or what, but yeah, yeah. I think it's just, you know, Daryl will do it. He'll spend a little bit of time with this guy. Yeah. Um, give him some small little pointers that'll lead to, you know, a change in results for, for individual performance for ass. And then I think, you know, once that snowball gets going, you know, we'll see a turnaround in him. I think Daryl is a guy, we just said it, right. Not only can he identify problems, he has solutions for them all. So um, as long as the players are willing to listen and sure, they sure are now, that's, that's one of the great things about being at an all time low is these guys are buying in right off the hop. They're seeing results. It's going to, enhance the level of buy-in yeah and thus far Dar- that daryl has been like tanev and hennepin are your is his are his number one pairing right now um they played yep. more in the last two games they've started more in their defensive zone um so th- that's probably an adjustment daryl's noticed you know rasmus is struggling scale back his minutes a little bit scale back his zone starts um and re- rely on the two guys who have been really good in tanev and tanev and tanev and tanev and it's pretty good right so and my god like just one more thing on chris tanev if i had known daryl sutter if daryl sutter had been hired along with the chris tanev signing like those are two guys because what is chris tanev incredible at is suppressing shots and getting the puck out of the d zone like daryl sutter and chris tanev those are two guys those are two peas in a pod right there man yeah and the beauty thing about that situation is the reason why the two peas in a pod is because Daryl can implement a style of play that the team works together at implementing, which then makes it easier on individual guys like Tanev. He's not continually the only guy last night of defense where it just wears on him, wears on him. The goalie is the other example, right? You're not going to see these, you know, 50 shots faced against yeah. Markstrom where he has to continue, like hold the weight of the fucking team on his shoulders for games. Right. <laughs> and it's the same thing with, with Tanev, right. It's a more, he can the style of play that Tanev plays is actually more sustainable under this team play that Daryl will have these guys playing under. Yeah. 100%. He doesn't have to be on the ice for like 600 shots exactly. against every single night. All right, last thing as far as the game is concerned, um, and then we'll get to some post-game stuff. But um, so Monty gets you the two. Um, Mangiapani comes down. Holy shit, dude. Completely outworks a guy twice his size. That was Petrie, right? It's Jeff Petrie, one of the best defensemen in the North Division. And <laughs> just out-muscles, out-hustles, out-works, out-smarts, out-plays. One of the best defensemen in the division to set up Michael Backlund, who then beats one of the best goalies in the world. So to go up three, nothing, man, it's just like, wow. I think, listen, we're not getting our head of ourselves, but a hundred percent we're playing under a way better coach. We know that for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, man, like what a great play by, by Manjapani. That was just so, that, that, that play encapsulated why he's so good because not only is, yep. is he tenacious, and strong and works his ass off but he's also really smart like you can see him anticipate that you can see him know what's happening and then not only does he win two battles but he has the 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 vision and the wherewithal to see backland in the slot there and put that pass right on his tape like 
this guy for me is the team's best five on five player for the last year and a half. Like an absolute great play. Like what a great read. What a great effort, man. He's just so good. And he draws like, if you watch that play again, like I'm just watching it right now. He not only does he beat out Petrie, but he draws the other Montreal defenseman. Was it Romanov or something? I don't know who that is, um, but he like draws him below the goal line and opens it up for Backlund to be wide open in front. Just like hell of a play by Manjabani. And like you said, similar to the whole Tano situation, a guy like Manjupani that suits Daryl's system, uh, Daryl Sutter's system to a T. It's like when your team is playing well positionally, when you get individual performances like that, that's what takes you over the top, yeah. right? when you're playing a team style, a team game, like Daryl's going to implement, you don't have to rely on individual performances to win you games where and you, you don't, play. Yeah. You don't have else. to, re- you don't have to rely on purely Markstrom or like, Oh, Gaudreau has to score like every single goal or yeah. else you lose. Right. Like, like, like the Oilers. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to um, post game. I thought it was hilarious after game one. Uh, Cause this is, this is kind of like, you know, Daryl, Daryl gets his first game. He gets his first win. And what's this, what's the, the, the press conference going to look like the guys fucking just calmly nonchalantly just taking game notes throughout the entire uh, fielding of all the immediate questions. I thought that was hilarious. It's so on brand for Daryl Sutter. It's insane. <laughs> fucking love it. Like what a refreshment. Hey, as, as again, contrasting that to, to Ward, a guy that's actually talking about X's and O's and things that he saw in the game versus, yeah, our compete level wasn't high enough. We need more emotion. Or our compete level was high enough. We won tonight. That's why. Yeah. Um, now, I know you posted a couple. What were your takeaways from that first first presser? Because just the hockey talk that this guy talks, um, total breath of fresh air. Well, yeah. Like, I mean... <laughs> He, it's just like he's on like a mission to just fix this team and he knows it's just I don't know what it is it's just you it's you can watch him and feel confident and know that he knows what he's doing right like there was like you said there's no we weren't competitive there's no we were lack of emotion every word that comes out of his mouth is um useful to you as a fan watching is insightful and g- gives you an insight as to what he's thinking as to what he, he knows is going on. Cause I think the most telling thing was everyone was like, Oh, it's such a good game, blah, blah. blah. And he was like, yeah, but we need to be a hell of a lot better next game. Right? Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's because he actually has actual analysis. Yeah. Like he knows. He even said like, he he was talking about the giveaways and he was like, yeah, we had six or seven, you know, plays where we need to be better and sharper on. He knows what went right and what went wrong. Yeah. And he knows that unless you address what went wrong continuously, you're not getting better. I mean, he knows you have to keep getting better in order to win the cup. So I love how we're talking about the cup. Finally, (laughs) we're finally talking about the Stanley cup. I mean, it was, I remember specifically, we did a podcast under um, Bill Peters when this team actually looked like they could compete at a high level. And we're like, you know what? We got to start talking about winning the cup, right? Enough of this, just like being okay. Like making the playoffs, like, huh. And we're here. We got a guy that is literally, he's got one singular focus. Talk about the singular focus. Yeah. He's got one thing on his mind, win a championship. Fucking love it. What were, uh, what were your thoughts seeing him and Johnny on the bench, the communication between the two? Oh, boy. That was, man, I don't know why that just hits. I guess if you've been a Flames fan for a long time and you've seen, you've seen Daryl do that with like Jerome again. It's just, yeah. A, it's so weird, but seems so right too. Yeah. 
But yep. man, like again, like I just keep coming back to this thing when Daryl was talking about the day he was he was on the press conference rehired, and he was talking about the core guys, and he was talking about how, you know, what they need to know is that I'm going to work with them, that I'm going to stick with them. And the thing that I really took away from it was that he said they need some stability and they need some leadership. Like, and that when you see him on the bench talking to Gaudreau, and it's just like, you know, this is like the first time in Gaudreau's career that he's had a coach who is going to give him some direction, you know? Not yep. that the other guys haven't, but I mean, this just is so, so real and tangible, and you could see it already. And it's just like all these guys have needed for so long is somebody who can lead them. It's just, it's, it's so encouraging to see that. It seems like a weird thing. I, I was like asked bugging you after the game. I was like, could you send me that gif of, of Gaudreau and Sutter? Like, cause that, <laughs> that really got me fired up, but it's like, it's just so encouraging to see. And who knows what he was saying, but just to see the encouragement, the fact that this guy has somebody to lean on. He has somebody who's got his back. It's huge, man. Okay. Last thing I want to bring up before we get to like the final assessment preparation for Edmonton is, um, so Nick Kiprios and um, what's McLean's first name? The other, not Ron McLean. It's uh, Doug. Doug McLean. Doug McLean. So Kiprios had Doug McLean on, and they were talking about Flames under Sutter and whatnot. But one thing that they mentioned, I don't know how true it is, but they were basically saying that um, Bradtree Living was heavily involved in coaching this team um, to the extent of I'm not necessarily sure they. They, they, they said lineups, picking lineups. I'm not sure if he was picking the actual lines themselves or just, you know, saying who was in and out of the, of the press box. Um, it just kind of seemed weird to hear all that. It was weird. And I kind of forgot that Kiprios and McLean even existed because they haven't been on SportsCenter anymore. I know. It was a weird discussion. It, it was. was like, yeah, it's like you don't expect it. Like maybe if you come on a, podcasts like ours and kind of like speculate about stuff like that but i mean for two guys who are like in the business and like media professionals it felt really weird so i don't know but they they were also saying from what they've heard like it sounded like they had like pretty direct sources i'm not sure how true it is or not but i mean the the thing they did follow it up with is that the whole reason why they were making that point is that with daryl sutter at the helm like there's not going to be much if any influence on what this team is doing outside of, you know, picking the 23 man roster, right? Yeah. Like the tree living is not going to have any influence on who's in and out of the lineup. Well, and that's kind of what I was saying um, when I was talking about how like now Daryl and the G or the GM and the coach can now meet and be on equal footing. Right. Like, cause I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say what you want about Jeff Ward. I mean, he's not on the level of Daryl Sutter. Same with Glenn Gallatin. Same with Bill Peters. Like, it felt a lot of, like, top-down as opposed to collaborative with previous coaches. It was like Tree, tree Living was smarter than the head coach, which I don't think that's what you want. No. Right? Like, now you have a partnership, hopefully, um, as opposed to just, like, you know, Brad telling the coach what to do. So, in that respect, I, I agree. There's not going to be any – Daryl's – not going to take his marching orders from up top. Daryl has full control, which I think is a very good thing. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. Uh, final assessment. What's your assessment through two? I know we covered on a bunch of it, but if you want to summarize it and then um, looking at the next two games against the others. I'm just super encouraged again, like the fact that we've seen two games that are almost textbook Sutter hockey and won both those games. 
there's not much complaining to do. The thing that I'm most impressed with, or not even impressed, but the most um, happy with and encouraged by is the defensive zone. Like the, these, these, these defensive breakdowns that kept happening, kept happening, have been kept in check the last two games. That's huge. Even if you can, if you can play a little bit better defense, you're going to win a lot more games with this roster. So that's kind of my initial, like, thank God. Um, I, I just, it's just been so encouraging to see two games of hockey where you don't want to blow your brains out after watching it too. Yeah. I feel like if this was the Ottawa senators, I'm not sure how I feel, but because it was the Montreal Canadians, they're a pretty stable, solid team. Yeah. Uh, like we, we mentioned a bunch, bunch of times they're tops in the leagues, five V five. So for us to come in and Daryl beforehand saying how he wants his team to be better and then seeing it execute to the extent that it was, yeah. um, I think that's a great measurement. So I think we're, Definitely, definitely headed in the right direction. Like I said, I am so ready to play the Oilers right now because right now this team is freshly bought in. And I think the Oilers, we've been saying this, they're really beatable. If you know how to, if you have a coach that knows the thing, you don't really have to do a lot of things right to beat the Oilers. There's two really big things you got to do right. Well, three, right? You got to hone in on those two best players in the league as well as stay out of the box. And then, you know, be able to, to defend on the penalty kill. So if you do those three things while winning the Corsi 4, the 585 um, battle, I don't see how you're not beating this Edmonton Oilers team. And if they even have, you know, semi-mediocre goaltending with the system that we're playing under, I like our chances. Yeah, 100%. Oilers are beatable. Again, and the other thing that's really encouraging is that not only do you beat the Montreal Canadiens, who have been one of the best five-on-five teams in the league, you you're chasing them. These were two these were two big games oh. for them as well, um, yeah. and you beat them. You were more urgent. You were more desperate. You got those points, huge. So if you play the same way against the Oilers, um, even if you don't win, you're probably over the long term you're going to beat them two out of two out of those games if you play like like you did. And again, they just lost to Vancouver last night. The last time we played them, we should have beat them. They didn't look very good. It was just simple defensive mistakes that lost you that game. You play like you did against the Montreal Canadiens. You're beating the Oilers this weekend. No problem. I went to Los Angeles because I felt at that time they were a team that could, that could contend and win a Stanley Cup right away. And uh, in the back of my mind, Losing in Game Seven with the Flames was sort of in the Stanley Cup Finals was sort of the one thing that always wanted me to. Okay, if it's the right situation, I'd go again. I'm not. A, I'm not a coach that. that I, I, I'm not interested in coaching 31 teams. I'm not interested in coaching just to coach. I'm interested in coaching strictly to win a Stanley Cup and to see if you and 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 that's it. Nothing else. It's not about. Uh, it takes a. It's a it's a hard job being a head coach, and it takes its toll. And, and the only reward in for a coach, for a head coach in today's game, is is that is that what's at the end of the tunnel. And I've coached a lot of games in the NHL, and but to me, the bottom line is still uh, how many games you've coached in the playoffs, how many went, how many have won, and championships. And that would be the only thing that drives me. And and uh, you know I'm. That's that's what I believe, and and there's there's quite honest. There's guys that coach 
for a long time in their career coaches, and they never win nothing. 